0: Welcome to the Teaching Ministry at Calvary PSL. Please join lead pastor Mike Wiggins for the message titled Faith Alone. All right, so right before he ascended back into heaven, the risen Christ said this in Acts 1:8. He said this to his disciples. He said, "You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. All right, so Christ's call in Acts 1-8 was crystal clear. He wanted the disciples to spread the good news about him all across the world. In other words, listen to this, Christianity was never intended to just be a little sect within Judaism. No, Christianity was to become a global faith that included both Jews and Gentiles. And so as we've been making our way chapter by chapter, verse by verse through Acts, we've seen Christ's call carried out. We saw in Acts chapter 2 that the gospel was spread into Jerusalem and all Judea. As Peter and the apostles led literally thousands of Jews to Christ as their Messiah. And then we got to Acts 8. We saw that the good news of Jesus went up into Samaria, and that Philip was used by the Lord to share the good news of Jesus with that mixed race. And then we saw in chapter 10 that Peter took the gospel to the Gentiles. That's important for today's message. Peter took the gospel to the Gentiles, to a Roman centurion named Cornelius, his family and friends. And what a great day that was when the Gentiles were accepted by faith in Christ alone. And then in the last two or three weeks, we've seen, last line, Paul and Barnabas take the gospel, at least begin to take the gospel, to the end of the earth on their first missionary journey. And so what do we say to all that? We say, praise the Lord, that what Jesus said is actually happening and it's gonna continue to happen as we continue to study Acts. And so after the first missionary journey was completed, Paul and Barnabas returned to their home church in Antioch to rest for a while. So by way of review, look at chapter 14, verse 27 and 28. Chapter 14, verse 27 and 28. So first missionary journey is over, and they're back home. It says that when Paul and Barnabas arrived, arrived there in Antioch, and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them, and how he had opened a door of faith to the who? Gentiles. Gentiles. So important for today's study. A door of faith to the Gentiles, And they, Paul and Barnabas, remained no little time with the disciples. And so what a great victory the the first missionary journey was. But as you guys know by now, that the, the book of Acts is like a chess match, right? God moves, but who's always there to make a counter move? Satan. Satan. And so the first missionary journey, great move by the Lord, but now... It's time for the enemy to move again. So we're picking it up today. In chapter 15, verse one, I want everybody to shout out the very first word. Go ahead. But. But, okay, so most of the time when you see the word but in Acts, it means Satan's about to make a move. But some men came down from Judea. So they went from Judea all the way, 300 miles to Antioch in Syria. Some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers... Gentile brothers in the church of Antioch, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And so men who were associated with the Jerusalem church went to Antioch. They started teaching the people. Now, please hear this. Even though these guys were, were associated with the Jerusalem church, they were not authorized by the Jerusalem church. Big difference in the two words associated with and authorized by. No, we're gonna find out later in verse 24, James didn't send these guys from the Jerusalem church up to Antioch. Peter didn't send these guys, and John certainly did not send these guys. These guys in verse one, teaching this heresy that you gotta be circumcised in order to be saved, these guys were, were not authorized by the Jerusalem church. They were doing their own thing. And that's dangerous. Ladies and gentlemen, beware of any guy who decides, I'm just gonna start my own ministry apart from the local church. What happened in Acts chapter 13 verses one through three? You have a healthy, vibrant local church. The elders and pastors are praying and fasting and worshiping, and the Holy Spirit says, separate for me Saul and Barnabas for the work. And they prayed and laid hands, and the local church sent them out. And what was the result? Great blessing on the first missionary journey. But when a guy says, oh, I, I'm gonna you know, start my own thing, and does that outside the local church, be careful, especially be careful when they're preaching false doctrine like these guys in verse one. And so when they arrived in Antioch, these guys in verse one, they saw a church that was healthy and vibrant and growing, made up mostly of Gentiles. And they looked at all the Gentiles and they said, end of verse one, hey, unless you're circumcised, guys, according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Now, as Ricky said to Lucy, I got a lot of splaining to do, okay? We're gonna be in verse one for a while, and then the rest of the chapter will go fast, okay? But I gotta lay the groundwork so you guys can understand what Acts 15 is all about. So what is circumcision? You gotta be circumcised to be saved. What is circumcision? We're all familiar with the surgical procedure, but for the Jews, it was so much more. It meant so much more. According to Strong's Concordance, circumcision, the word literally means to cut around. So we all know it's the cutting of the foreskin, but but it's more for the Jew, look at this. By this rite, a man was separated from the unclean world and dedicated to God. And so on the eighth day, after a little Jewish baby boy was born, his parents circumcised him as a sign of the covenant that God made with Abraham way back in Genesis chapter 17. And so in Genesis chapter 17, God makes a covenant, the covenant of circumcision with Abraham. That custom, that rite is carried on for 500 years until the time of Moses. And it's confirmed in the law of Moses, Leviticus chapter 12. And it's carried on all the way to our day today. And so on the day of his circumcision, a Jewish boy was considered, considered, separated, from an unclean world and dedicated to God. Now, when a Gentile man decided that he wanted to join the ranks of the Jews and become a Jewish proselyte, he had to go through a process. The first thing that Gentile needed to do was that he needed to study the law of Moses, Torah. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and he had to prove to the rabbis that he had an adequate knowledge of the law of Moses. He was tested on that knowledge. If he passed the test, he was then baptized and circumcised, and it wasn't until then that he became a quote unquote son of the covenant. Now you gotta get this right here if you're gonna understand Acts 15. In the early years of Acts, the church was predominantly Jewish. And so the church, Jesus' church, was filled with Jewish men in the early years of Acts who were all circumcised, and they're all keeping the law of Moses. And then all of a sudden, all these Gentiles start coming in the back door, and filling up these churches all around the Mediterranean. And especially the Gentiles are coming in in droves when you got, 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 got uh, guys like, like Paul who's bringing all these Gentiles into the church. And now many of the Jews are alarmed. And by the way, how many of you guys are Gentiles here? You're not Jews, raise your hand. Okay, that's 98% of you. And so all of a sudden, all these Gentiles start coming in and the Jews are alarmed and they're like, hey, wait a minute. Do they know the law of Moses? Have they been tested? Have they been circumcised? Are they keeping a kosher diet? Because listen, this is what some Jews would, would say. If they're not keeping a kosher diet, we can't eat with them. Problem. The church of Jesus, made up of Jews and Gentiles, Gentiles are coming into a predominantly Jewish church, and some of the Jews are saying, we can't hang out with you or eat with you in the church? Now, we saw this attitude in Acts chapter 11. We've been there and done that. After Peter led the Gentile Cornelius and his family to Christ, some Jews in the Jerusalem church When Peter came back from Caesarea, he had just led Cornelius and his family to the Lord. He came back to the Jerusalem church. Some Jews in that church of Jerusalem looked at Peter and said, Peter, how dare you? You went into the home of an uncircumcised Gentile and you ate with those people. You guys remember this from Acts chapter 10 and 11? And so Peter had to explain his vision of the great sheep coming down from heaven that was filled with unkosher animals. And then Peter hears the voice, rise up, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter says, no, Lord. By the way, quick side note. It's very applicable for today. The two words, no, Lord, do not go together. (laughs) Right? No, Lord. You see, if he's Lord... We don't get to say no because if he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. We say, yes, Lord, but Peter was a Jew. That's all he knew, kosher diet. He had never eaten anything unkosher. And now all of a sudden, the vision, great sheet filled with unclean, unkosher animals. Rise up, Peter, kill, eat. No, Lord. I have never eaten anything common or unclean. And then the voice in Acts 10, what God has made clean, do not call common. All right, so here's your test. You ready for this? Who did the unkosher animals on the sheet represent? Gentiles, good job. Gentiles. Who Christ was cleansing and bringing into the church. And so the Lord was saying to Peter, Peter, don't you ever call the Gentiles common or unclean because I'm cleansing the Gentiles. And so even though God was so clear back in Acts chapter 10 that he was accepting the Gentiles based on faith alone, even though he was so clear in Acts chapter 10, we're still dealing with this problem in Acts chapter 15. And it's a problem now that the Jerusalem council is gonna have to take care of. Now, I'm a Bible teacher, I'm a pastor. I love Acts 15. It just does something inside of me to get me excited. I hope it excites you too. But, but here's the ramifications of the Jerusalem council. If it were not for the Jerusalem council, Christianity would have remained a little sect within Judaism. Judaism. But because some men of God had enough fight inside of them to stand up for the truth, Christianity became a global faith. It happened in AD 49 and there was two vital things that were being threatened. This is why they called up the Jerusalem council. Number one, if you wanna engage in the message, this is your first two fill-ins by the way. And so two threats, number one, the fellowship between Jewish and Gentile believers was being threatened. Again, as more and more Gentiles are coming into a predominantly Jewish church, the Jews are becoming uncomfortable. It's threatening fellowship within the church. Number two, and more important, the truth of the gospel was being threatened. So when you got legalists like these guys here in verse one who try to solve problem number one, by changing the gospel, diluting, polluting the gospel, well, that's a big, big, big no-no. And so I wanna tell you right from the beginning this afternoon, what is the true gospel? Here's your next fill-in if you're taking notes. The true gospel is simply this, ladies and gentlemen, that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That's the true gospel. That's the pure Gospel, salvation is not by faith in Christ plus circumcision. Salvation is not faith in Christ plus keeping the law of Moses. Salvation is not faith in Christ plus doing good works. That is a false gospel. Salvation is by grace alone through faith alone In Christ alone. And I wonder, do you really believe that this this afternoon? Do you honestly believe that? Because here's here's the thing. I ask people, if you died tonight and stood before God and God said, why should I let you into heaven? How would you answer? And do you know the number one answer I get most of the time from people? I've been a pretty good person. (laughs) Wrong answer. Now, Now, ladies and gentlemen, please hear me. You know how important this message is? All eternity is on the line. Where you spend forever is on the line right here in Acts chapter 15. The Bible says there's two places after we die, heaven and hell, no no such thing as purgatory. It's not in the Bible, it doesn't exist. It's heaven or hell. And when you take your last breath, there's no more chances. So please, as I say so often, Listen with Dumbo ears this this afternoon. Now, hold your place in Acts 15. Let's go on over to Romans chapter four. Paul's gonna prove the point that we're making here. Actually, the point comes from the word of God. So Romans chapter four, Paul talks about Abraham, who every single Jew loved and respected and honored. Okay, so what about Abraham? How was Abraham saved? So if you're looking at Romans 4.1, say amen here. Okay, so here we go. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified, that's a great word. Okay, the word justified means to be declared righteous. It means to get saved. For if Abraham was saved by works... He has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham, what's the next word? Believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Not self-righteousness, not because of his works. This is righteousness, a gift that God gives to those who have faith. Verse four, now to the one who works... His wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. In other words, if you're thinking that you can be good enough to earn heaven, then heaven is not a free gift, as the Bible says it is. It's a reward. Verse five. And to the one who does not work, but, what's the word? Believes in him who justifies the ungodly. His what is counted as righteousness? Faith. Faith. Faith alone, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David, another person the Jews loved and honored and respected. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and those whose sins are covered. And blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. And so is this blessing, this forgiveness, this salvation, Is this blessing then only for the circumcised? Here we go. We're talking about what we're talking about in Acts 15 here. Is this blessing, this blessing of forgiveness and salvation, only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after but before he was circumcised. Now everybody stop and look at me. So just take take a break here for a second, okay? Paul is using Abraham as the example of how do you get saved? He's going all the way back to Genesis to illustrate his point. He says that in Genesis, listen to this, chapter 15, the Bible says that Abraham believed God and God counted it as righteousness. In other words, newsflash, Abraham got saved in Genesis 15. Then you make your way to Genesis 17 and Abraham gets circumcised. He's already saved by faith alone. And then later, he's circumcised as a confirmation of the righteousness that he already had by faith. And so look again at verse 10. How then was it, salvation, counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? So you tell me, was Abraham saved before or after he was circumcised? Before. Genesis 15 comes before Genesis 17. If that makes sense, please say amen. (laughs) He says it was not after, but before he was circumcised. Verse 11, he received the sign of circumcision as a seal, a confirmation of the righteousness that he already had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who work really hard. Is that what it says? The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them, the Gentiles, as well. And so, turn back please to Acts 15. Even though Paul would write those words later, here's what you need to know. That truth was burning, burning in Paul's heart while he was one of the teaching pastors in Antioch years before he wrote Romans. And so because of that, one day we're now in Antioch, Paul and Barnabas go to church. As they're walking into the church where they're pastors, they stop and they get a bulletin from the greeter at the door. And they look at the bulletin, all the activities, and they say, oh, a new class is being offered. The title of the class, hey, Barnabas, look at this. The title of the class is How to Be Saved. And then it says, we wanna welcome our special guest speakers all the way from the Church of Jerusalem. Hey, Barney, you wanna check this out? Yeah, let's go. So Paul and Barnabas go and they sit down in this class and the guys from verse one are the teachers. (laughs) And the guys in verse one They stand up and they say to all the Gentiles, unless you're circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And let me tell you something, I know Paul. And when Paul heard that, his head exploded all over the classroom. (laughs) He is ticked off. If you doubt what I'm saying right now, later on this week, read Galatians. He is hot. He is angry, why? You say, pastor, why don't people just chill out about religion? No, 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 no. here's why, because in Jude verse three, it says that we must contend for the faith that has been once and for all given to the saints by the apostles. There's some things worth fighting for. And what I'm talking about today is worth fighting for. And Paul is so angry, so he raises his hand and he says, teacher, hold on a minute, that's wrong. Calls the guy out, look at verse two. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others who uh, were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. And so this was such a consequential matter The other pastors in Antioch are like, okay, Paul, Barnabas, here's what you're gonna do. We want you to go down to the the quote unquote mother church in Jerusalem, and we want you to talk to James and Peter, and we want you to get this issue settled once and for all. So they pack up their donkeys, they head south. Look at verse three. So being sent on their way by the church, they pass through both Phoenicia and Samaria, Describing in detail the conversion of the who? Gentiles. Gentiles. And brought great joy to all the brothers. Lots of Jewish brothers are so happy about this. Not all of them, but some. Verse 4. But when they came, when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders and they declared all that God had done with them." All right, so let's take a look at our map to get our geographical bearings. Paul and Barnabas at this point, AD 49, are teaching pastors in the church of Antioch of Syria, upper right-hand corner of the screen. They have a big dispute with the legalists in verse one. They're sent to Jerusalem to get the matter settled. So they head south. They go all the way along the Mediterranean coast through Phoenicia, through Samaria, and they are on their way 300 miles plus. They're stopping at churches that have been planted, no doubt, by the other apostles. Um, that were planting churches here for the last 10, 15 years or so. And so they're sharing with these other churches, Jewish people, um, primarily, hey, the Gentiles are getting saved. First missionary journey has been awesome. Everybody's filled with joy. They finally make it down to Jerusalem, the quote-unquote mother church, and they share the same thing, and everybody's happy, everybody's filled with joy, but it's not gonna last very long. Look at verse five and everybody shout out the first word in verse five. Okay, so what does that mean? Satan's about to move. Can can everybody look at me real quick? Did you know that the Christian life is a struggle? (laughs) We just, you know, instead of being in denial and thinking the Christian life is supposed to be sunshine and, and rainbows, we should just come to reality and accept the fact that while we're on this earth, 70, 80, 90 plus years, it's gonna be a struggle. So Lord, it, you never promised you know, to keep me from the storm. You promised to be with me in the storm. You promised to be with me in the fight. So hey, I'm gonna put on my, my headgear and I'm gonna go to, go to battle. That's the Christian life. I know I just burst some of your bubbles. It's true. You have an enemy who hates you. He's gonna dog you at every turn. But greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Amen. God is greater. Gotta keep leaning into the Lord. And so what happens here is that verse five, it says, but some believers who belong to the party of the who? <laughs> Pharisees. You say, how did they get in the church? Well, the same way Paul did. Paul a Pharisee. He accepted Jesus as his Messiah, so apparently some of these guys in Jerusalem accepted Jesus as their Messiah and they came into the church of Jerusalem. But their doctrine was wrong. It says that they rose up and they said, Paul, Barnabas, it's necessary to circumcise the Gentiles in order, um, and in order them to keep the law of Moses. And some people beat up James, the lead pastor, and they say, how could he let these people into his church? Well, you you guys know, how large was the Jerusalem church by this time? Thousands and thousands of people. And so don't blame one guy because there's some guys that come in the back door and start a small group that's not authorized by the church. And by the way, um, we have small groups here and we have small groups that are authorized by the church, that means that they come under the leadership of Pastor Mike Lawrence so that Pastor Mike Lawrence is pouring into the small group leaders and checking the doctrine to make sure everything's cool. But there are groups that pop pop up that we really have no responsibility for. And so just know that and just you know always, always, always be careful. And so it says now in verse six that the, and by, by the way, the Jerusalem council has begun. The apostles and the elders in Jerusalem were gathered together to consider the matter. And after there had been much debate, who stands up, shout out his name. Peter, Peter, praise God for Peter, right? I, I love Peter. Peter stood up and said to them, brothers, you know that in the early days, God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God who knows the heart bore witness to them, Cornelius and his family, by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. Guys, we got the Holy Spirit in Acts two, the Gentiles got the Holy Spirit in Acts 10. Verse nine, and he, God, made no distinction between us Jews and them Gentiles, having cleansed their hearts by what? What's the word? Faith. Faith, faith alone. Verse 10, now therefore, why? Why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? 613 laws in the law of Moses. So many of them are part of the ceremonial law. He's like, stop. All the commentaries, what the rabbis say about the ceremonial law, stop. Verse 11, but we believe that we will be saved through the Grace, everybody, please say grace. Grace. That's it, the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. And so Peter shares the beautiful story of how Cornelius and his family come to Christ and their hearts are cleansed of sin by faith alone, how the Holy Spirit comes upon them when they believe. Now, now, you guys remember Acts chapter 10, there's, there's Peter. He preaches to the Gentiles. They believe in Jesus as their Savior and Lord. The Holy Spirit enters inside of them. Did you know that in the Bible days, New Testament time, they called the Holy Spirit the happy spirit? How many of you guys know the Holy Spirit can make you happy, right? Absolutely. Some of you are like, what are you talking about? (laughs) Submit your life and your heart to Jesus Christ and ask him to fill you with the Holy Spirit and you'll know what I'm talking about. Now, they're happy cornelius his crew woohoo right they're happy and so did peter say hey cornelius come on over here man hey i know you're really happy right now because you know you have the holy spirit inside of you and everything but you know it's time for some pain and so (laughs) gather up all the guys we're going to the back room to be circumcised no circumcision hey bro no salvation and then after everybody's circumcised We're not even gonna let you have time to heal. I'm gonna start teaching you the ceremonial dictates of the law of Moses, because you gotta keep a kosher diet, okay, man? Is that what Peter said to Cornelius? Not even close. If you're with me now, say amen. Amen. Peter accepted the Gentiles on the basis of their faith in Christ alone. So I wanna make sure everybody's crystal clear because you remember, hey, if you died tonight, where would you go, heaven, why? I'm a good guy. So to make sure I'm crystal clear here, look at verse nine, please. How were the Gentiles saved? Their hearts were cleansed by what? Faith. And then what was Peter's conclusion? Everybody look at verse 11. We're all saved, end of verse 11, through the what of the Lord Jesus? Grace. grace. It's clear. So why has religion messed it all up? What is grace? What does it mean? Next fill in on your outline. Grace is the unmerited, undeserved favor from God bestowed on all who personally trust Jesus as their Savior and Lord. I was so careful with my wording in that definition because here's my wife's testimony. She grew up in the church, and if you would've asked her when she was around 18 years old, hey, Stacy, are you gonna go to heaven? Yeah, why? Well, Jesus died for the world, but she wasn't saved. This is her own testimony. She wasn't saved because it wasn't personal. You have to personally receive Jesus as your savior and Lord so that he becomes personal to you. And you don't merit it by your good works and you don't deserve it because how many of you guys know we all deserve hell? I'm gonna raise my hand, I'm gonna wait for everybody to raise your hand if you believe you deserve hell. And if some people right now, I'll close my eyes, you guys can put your hands down. If some some people there, I don't know who you are, but if you didn't raise your hand, you say, I don't deserve hell. Here's the thing, you're self-righteous and if you think you can get to God by your good works and you take your last breath, you're gonna wake up in a place you don't wanna be and you'll be stuck there for all eternity. Do you see how important what I'm talking about is this afternoon? It's so important that God sent his son to pay that price because he knew you could never earn it on your own. And so, in my life, I grew up in the church. Pastor Andrew talks about, hey, remember the first time you went to church, how awkward it was? It wasn't awkward for me, I got carried in on a little baby carrier, right? I just went to church, me and my brothers, from the day we were born all the way through. But listen, when I was 17 years old, if you would've asked me, are you going to heaven? Yeah, why, I'm a good guy. And then, thank God, I had a friend in high school, Plant High School, his name was Neil Keith. I haven't seen him since graduation. Maybe someday I'll see him. If not, I'll thank him in heaven. But he had some gospel tracts in his pocket. And I said, hey, what's that? And he said, oh, there's some gospel tracts. I, can I have one? God was drawing me. And I took it home and I read it. And it's just filled with Bible verses, straight from the Word. And I'm reading it and it says this, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that's not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast, and my mind was blown, and I started coming for the first time in my life under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, because I was trusting in Mike Wiggins to save Mike Wiggins, and then I read that the wages of sin is death, and now I'm really getting scared. Because on the gospel track, it explained that death is not just physical death, it's spiritual separation from God forever in a place called hell. So I read the bad news and I'm like, oh my goodness. And then I read the good news. How many of you guys are glad there's good news? So happy there's good news. And the good news is the rest of that verse is, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And here I am washing dishes at Little Caesars Pizza on Del Mabry Highway, just south of Tampa Stadium. How many of you guys know God can save anybody, anywhere, anytime he wants to? And I'm washing dishes, 17 years old, doing my job for minimum wage, or whatever, and I'm thinking about Bible verses, and I'm thinking about Ephesians 2, eight and nine, and finally it dawned on me, and what I did is I transferred my trust from trusting Mike to save Mike, to wow, Jesus, you're awesome and I'm trusting you alone and what you did on the cross and paid for my sins. And the moment I believe, like Cornelius and his crew, the Holy Spirit of God came inside of me. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. We can never back down from this essential doctrine. And so Peter was done speaking and now it's time for Paul and Barnabas to speak in verse 12. It says in verse 12 that all the assembly fell silent, and they listened to Paul and Bar- Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the who? Gentiles. Gentiles. First missionary journey, guys, you won't believe it. God showed up in such a big way. He bore witness to the word of His grace through signs and wonders. That's Acts 14:3. Nobody can debate this. Paul and Barnabas are done. And now the lead pastor stands up, the half-brother of Jesus. It says in verse 13 that after they finished speaking, now who stands up? James. James replied, brothers, listen to me. Simeon, Peter, has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it." is written, okay, he's quoting Amos 9, 11 and 12. I like James, he's a Bible guy. He's like, let's go to the Bible. All right, so verse 16, God says, after this I will return and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen and I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it. God's not done with Israel. Verse 17, that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord and all the, who? Gentiles. It's way back in the Old Testament. God says, I'm gonna save the Gentiles. And all the Gentiles are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from of old. Yeah, I guess so, way back in Amos. And now in verse 19, he gives his verdict. James says, therefore my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God. And so what was James' verdict? He pointed to Amos and he said, hey, everybody, everybody at the Jerusalem council, listen up, God's word says that God's gonna save the Gentiles, so let's stop troubling them. In other words, James sided with Peter, Paul, and Barnabas. He opposed the Pharisees. Good news, James says. You don't have to be circumcised, Mr. Gentile, in order to be saved. Good news, you don't have to keep the law of Moses in order to be saved. Faith In Christ alone will save you. And so James is done talking and it's done. The Jerusalem council is is winding down. And so the threat concerning the the purity and the truth of the gospel that's been dealt with by Peter and Paul and Barnabas and James, they dealt with it. They stood up, they stood for the true gospel. But now there's another matter that's gotta be settled and that's the matter of fellowship in the churches. And so everybody look at me, how could two, first century church, right? Predominantly Jewish, but now all these Gentiles are coming in. How can the Jews and the Gentiles who are so different, how can they fellowship in the local church? How can they hang out? How can they eat together if there's all these rules, right? So again, James says, in essence, we're not gonna trouble these guys by telling them they have to be circumcised or keep the law but we're gonna write them a letter. I like this, look at verse 20 now. James is still speaking. He says, but we should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols. Okay, so meat that was sacrificed to idols that made its way to the market. He's saying, hey, you know, abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood for why, Why, James, why is this important? Because from ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he's read every Sabbath in the synagogues because there's Jews all around the Roman Empire. James said the Gentiles should make some lifestyle changes so they don't offend the Jews. Now, now, now hear me. He's calling on them to live by the law of love. You guys, when you're around your Jewish brothers and sisters, you need to curb your liberty. Don't eat meat offered to idols. And Paul's gonna deal with this later in another book in Corinthians, and he's gonna give liberty if you're not around people that you're gonna offend and it doesn't offend your conscience. I don't have time to get into all that, but but suffice it to say, James is calling on the Gentiles to curb their liberty When you're around your Jewish brothers and sisters, don't eat meat offered to idols, that offends them. And don't eat meat from animals that have been strangled, therefore not properly bled in the kosher Jewish way. He was not talking about salvation here, he was talking about fellowship in the first century church. And if a Gentile copped an attitude and said, I can eat whatever I wanna eat, I don't care if I'm around the Jews or not, the more blood in my meat, the better, whatever. That guy needs to be corrected. Because listen to this, listen. Even though the Gentiles were not under the law of Moses, the Gentiles, we are under the law of love. And so what do we do in the name of love? If something's gonna offend somebody, don't do it in front of them. If it doesn't bother your conscience and you can do it before God in the privacy of your home, okay. All right, so you guys getting this, yes or no? All right, and so in addition to abstaining from certain meat, put your seatbelts on, James also talked about sexual immorality. And that's way more significant than what you have for dinner. Paul said to the church of Thessalonica, this is the will of God. Okay, this is to the New Testament church. So this is for you. This is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. And the Greek is pornea, from where we get the word pornography. You abstain from sexual immorality that each one of you know how to control his own body in what? Holiness and honor and not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who don't know God. And so sexual immorality can be defined as any sexual activity outside of the covenant of marriage. And so, so, so please, please hear me. This is God's moral law. There's a big difference between God's moral law and the ceremonial law of Moses. The moral law was given to us in the Old Testament and it's confirmed in the New Testament. And it's very clear. God created sex. He's a great designer. He's a great God, right? But he created it for married couples only, and any activity sexual outside of the marriage covenant is pornea, It's sexual morality. And God says, don't do that, be holy. Now, we don't, we don't obey the moral law of God to be saved. Are you guys getting this? You don't, you don't abstain from sexual morality to be saved. You don't keep the 10 commandments to be saved. But as born-again, blood-bought Christians, We absolutely keep the moral law of God because we are saved. We've already been saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. God is so good, is he not? God is so gracious. Man, God says, I'm gonna go down and I'm gonna hang half naked and die and bleed for you so that you don't have to go to hell and you can go to heaven forever. And then I'm gonna give you my spirit who's gonna live in you forever and ever. God is so good. And in response to his grace, it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. And so in response to his grace and love, we say there's no way I'm gonna dishonor my wife either internally or externally. There's no way I'm gonna even start to go down that road. There's no way I'm gonna give into this at all. The Christian life's a struggle. It's not easy. It's a fight. But when the Holy Spirit of God lives inside of you, he'll help you be victorious and we can be a holy people. We can be a holy people. So please, don't put your wall up and say, I'll sleep with whoever I wanna sleep with. You are treading on scary ground. And so now in verse 22, we're gonna read all the way down to verse 31 because this is just the letter of what we just taught. so stay with me, 22 all the way to 31. So then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. And so they sent Judas and Barsabbas and Silas, leading men among the brothers with the following letter. Okay, so here's the official letter from the Jerusalem council. The brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers who are of the Gentiles in Antioch, in Syria and Cilicia, greetings. Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions. Guys, in verse one, we didn't send them. Verse 25. It has seemed good to us, having come to one accord. I love this. To choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul. Men who have risked their lives For the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, first missionary journey. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourself from these, you will do well farewell, end of letter. And so they delivered the letter in verse 30, they were sent off, they went to Antioch, and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter, and when they had read it, they rejoiced, the Gentiles were like, yes, we don't have to be circumcised, yes, we don't have to keep the law of Moses, yes. They rejoiced because of its encouragement. And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, Encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. Kind of like your pastor. Verse 33. And after they had spent some time, they were sent off in peace by the brothers to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching. You see that, how important that is? Teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also in conclusion please stay with me to the end we should be so thankful that we have the official decision of the Jerusalem council preserved for us 2,000 years later there is no ambiguity there is no confusion about the gospel it's right there in black and white The Jerusalem Council teaches us that the Lord cleanses our hearts, verse nine, by faith alone, and that we're saved, verse 11, by grace alone. And this matches the five solas, five statements that came out of the Protestant Reformation in the 16th century AD. The five solas are Latin phrases. The word sola means only or alone. So here's the rest of your fill-ins. We, as Protestant evangelicals, we believe in sola scriptura. What, is that, what does that mean? You guys tell me, just shout it out. <laughs> Scripture alone. We believe that this book right here is the final authority for all matters of faith and practice, not the dictates of the pope and not the dictates of so-called sacred tradition of the Catholic Church. When the tradition of the Roman Catholic Church contradicts the Scriptures, we reject that tradition and we uphold God's Word. Scripture alone, this is our authority. Not Scripture and the Pope and sacred tradition. No, 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 no. This is what Protestant evangelicals do. Second thing, solus Christus. You guys shout it out, what does that mean? Christ alone. That means that we are saved by Christ and Christ only. His perfect life, his substitutionary death, his bodily resurrection. It's not Christ plus anything, it's Christ alone. He's our hero. We believe in sola gratia. What does that mean? Shout it out. Grace Grace alone. For by grace are you saved through faith. It's not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. We believe in sola fide. What does that mean? Faith alone. faith alone. And so as Paul said to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. And then finally, because salvation has nothing to do with us and everything to do with Christ, we believe in sola Deo gloria, which means what? The glory of God. He gets all the glory. If you're happy that God so loved the world he gave his one and only son, let him know, shout it out, clap your hands, thank him, thank him.